Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What's up, Coach Nation? Coach Cahill here to talk to you about why prep schools are not a golden ticket to play D1 football with head coach Jeff Moore of the Loomis Chaffee School in Windsor, Connecticut, a notable prep school. Coach Moore has trained and developed numerous Power 5 level college football players over the past couple years in the Northeast. They've gone on to play in uh, conferences like the SEC, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, and numerous other levels of college football. He's a tremendous resource, um, and I think he's going to really help us out with understanding what's become popular in the past couple of years, the route of going to a prep school. Enjoy. All right, so Coach, when should a high school player consider a prep school, and when should they not consider a prep school? Yeah, I think every kid's different. So um, it's sort of what are they looking for? And that can sort of dictate what prep school they're looking for and at what time. Um, So there's a bunch of, you know, there's some prep schools that are top 20 academic schools in the country. There's some um, that is more to get a second chance, whether it's academically, you know, from a social standpoint. And then there's some that are in the middle that are good schools. And it's just, whether it's the ability to reclass and get an extra year, like repeating their junior year or sophomore year or freshman year or post-grad year. Um, And then there are a lot, it's becoming more common with um, like these post-grad only programs. Bridgeton Academy has been doing it the longest, um, but there's a lot of other ones that have either popped up or just getting more popular in the past four or five years. And can you define what a what a postgrad is? Like, obviously, within the football circles, that term's thrown around a lot. But for maybe parents or high school players listening, could you just clarify what what's a PG? Yeah, definitely. So postgrad is a kid that's already graduated high school, and they're going to go to prep school for one additional year. Um, so in the football world, there's a there's a couple different New England prep leagues. So the Evergreen League um, is one of them. And a lot of them are capped at different numbers. So like the Evergreen League is capped at three. Um, Loomis, Chafee, where I'm at, we're in the Founders League with a bunch of other great schools. We're capped at six. Um, There's another league, they're capped at seven. Um, So whether they're football first or not, if they're a post-grad, that's all we can have on our roster. So it's not like, hey, we can have 15 and we'll just play six at a time. Like that's not how it works. Um, And then there's these post-grad only places um, Bridgeton Academy, Milford Academy, East Coast Prep, they are all postgrads. They'll have 35 to 50 guys on the roster. They'll play each other. And then a lot of them will play like um, college JV teams as well. Um, so there's a bunch of different types of schools. Some are all boys, some are co-ed, some have a middle school attached to it. Um, some have a, a elementary school, middle school, and a high school. Um, Loomis is just nine through uh, postgrad. Gotcha. And then in the, uh, I guess, what would the admissions process to a prep school particularly be like? Because I guess it's a little bit more robust than taking a pretty, not basic, but taking like a generic entrance exam for like your average Catholic high school or or private high school. Um, What's that process like for kids who want to say go to Loomis or another prep school? Yeah. So most of the schools have a deadline. It doesn't mean they won't accept applications afterwards, but after that deadline, extremely tough to get financial aid. Some schools won't consider kids whatsoever. 
Um, some schools will consider if they have like a second round and that sort of matters their yield in the first round. Um, so for most of these schools, the app, and it, there's a little variation, but most of them are around January 15th is the application deadline. So that would consider um, a full out application, two teacher recs, guidance counselor rec, um, a lot of schools, um, an essay and multiple short answers. Um, some of them, um, you have to submit a graded paper from the current school year, um, an interview, uh, an optional campus tour, and then historically you'd have to take either, you, they would use your ACT score, SAT score, PSAT or SSAT. Um, not all, but a lot of these prep schools this past year due to COVID have just started going test optional. Some schools are doing it as like a two year period and then they're gonna reevaluate. Um, so this, is, this was the first time, at least in a very long time that Loomis was test optional this year for us. Um, so that deadline is January 15th and um, decisions go out March 10th. And then typically the second round, if there is one, and there's a lot of schools where they may have a second round, but there may be no financial aid available in the second round. Um, and there's also what financial aid, there's a financial aid application where they got to fill out, upload tax forms, all that type of stuff. Um, but that second round typically starts after April 10th. Um, and every school's different. Some may say, our yield was great this year. We don't even have one. Um, some may be only looking for five students throughout all their grades. And some schools will go all the way into August still looking to um, fill beds. Um, so every year is different. Every school is different. Um, but these post-grad only places, they typically will take a kid all the way until the first day of school. Um, mm -hmm. But every, every school is slightly different. But January 15th, like, especially for people who are applying for financial aid, you want to make sure everything's on time because they have a financial aid budget. And once that's given out, it does not get redistributed. Um, so that's a big piece for people who are looking for financial aid. So is it only financial aid at a prep school or are there athletic scholarships at some prep schools? Um, so I would say a vast majority are need-based, um, but there are some schools um, that may give out um, what they would call Loomis JP is purely need-based. So they'll fill out the financial aid application. Um, they'll figure out what their estimated family contribution is. And we make it, uh, kids who are accepted, we make it affordable for them. Um, but it's it's going to be, um, there's no backdoor deals or anything like that. Whatsoever. Yeah, gotcha. What would you say is the biggest misconception that families and players have about prep schools that you find you have to, clarify well i think like i'd say the two toughest things are a lot of kids think prep school is like a golden ticket right so it's like i got into prep school x i've seen a lot of kids from prep school x become a division one athlete so be going there i'll be one or i see a lot of kids from prep school x go on to these type of schools highly selective so i'm gonna be able to go to those every single kid's case by case um, so that's the big thing. And I think there's a lot of kids that think, um, especially with postgrads, I'm going to go through this whole process with colleges. And if it doesn't work, come back to you. Um, and like, we've had an info, I've had 50 to 75 kids in the past two weeks, reach out to me about a postgrad opportunity and we've been done. So it's like, um, if you're looking at one of these non-PG only prep schools, um, 
there's limited spots left, if that. Um, so, you know, I highly suggest, because you could always apply and then if accepted, choose not to come. It's much more difficult trying to get accepted after the deadline. Um, and yep. some schools borderline impossible. Um, so, the, you know, those are the two things. It's not a golden ticket and these deadlines matter for everyone, you know, and that's a, that's a really important piece as well. And so the next question then would be, like you had 50 to 70 guys reach out to you for a post-grad spot. Um, how have you seen COVID impact the typical recruiting cycle? And then how has that impacted maybe prep schools? Yeah. So I would say because you guys uh, have a significant, just for the listeners, you guys have a significant portion of your student body, you know, athlete or non-athlete that's international. Right. So, yeah. So I want to say our school is say 15% international, but we have kids who are citizens, I think about 40 different countries. Uh, so, you know, that stuff plays a role this year with COVID. Obviously, most of our kids came. There was an opportunity to be remote every single term um, or each term. Kids could opt in, opt out. And we have some kids who have been online the whole year. Um, but I would say, I don't know the exact number, but over 80% of our body, our student body is here. Um, but with the postgrads, we would have at least quadruple the amount of kids reached out this year as for a postgrad year. And I'd say... Um, kids looking to repeat sophomore and junior year, um, more than normal is a fair way. Cause I think those kids are still like, um, let's see how this upcoming year plays out this and that. Um, and what I tell kids, and this, this could be a misconception too. Um, you know, most of these prep schools, like a school that takes six or seven postgrads, um, they may only take zero to four juniors that repeat every year. So people are like, well, they take more postgrads, but what they don't understand is you, you're one of 80 kids vying for six postgrad spots as a repeat sophomore, repeat junior. Sometime that pool at that school for football kids could be eight kids. So even though they may accept more kids um, and as postgrads, the competitive pool is drastically smaller as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, um, just because I think it's a lot more uncommon or a lot more difficult for a kid to say, I've been at my school for two years, for three years. I'm not going to finish with them. You know, it's obviously they create these relationships, this and that, you know, every kid's different, but I think it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to finish high school with my friends, have a blast. And then I'll look to do a PG year, but that, that pool is exponentially more competitive just by a number standpoint, not even talent, but it's just um, that year has been like a lot more chic um in the past few years and glorified would be the way i would put it compared to a repeat sophomore repeat junior year sure yeah and to go back to your i like the term you use like prep school is a golden ticket i mean i i hear that misconception all the time and it's thrown around at the school i work at oh you know if i don't if i don't get picked up by this d1 school i'll just pg and i'm like you guys don't really know anything about how pgs work because that's just not going to happen this year with the numbers um what would you say, I guess, um, and your, your reputation precedes you as a really good, proactive, not only good coach um, and mentor of your players, but you're also very proactive in helping them throughout the recruiting process. How do you explain the typical recruiting cycle from start to finish? Like if, if you had a kid decide like sophomore, I guess like sophomore year is the cutoff when they will want to get serious about it more or less, what would be, how would you lay out the recruiting path for a kid who wants to play college football 
Yeah, so um, their skill level sort of dictates their timeline, right? So most top-end kids, like if you're an FBS kid, it will – and every kid's different. And I know I say that for all this, but it is true. Um, right, yeah. If, if you're playing varsity as a sophomore and you're an FBS kid and you're very good, that recruiting process with those FBS schools, they actually cannot contact you by rules, but they can talk to your coach and the coach can give you their info and the kids can call those colleges. The colleges just can't respond, but they can pick up – have a phone conversation if the recruit calls them. I would say FBS kids, um, some, not all, will start during their sophomore year. Um, and it, it's not a ton of them, but it will be some. Um, and then their junior year, it's very prevalent. Um, for the FCS kids, um, I'd say their timeline really starts to kick off the winter of their junior year. So they just finished their junior season. That winter, um, basically like, after the first between the end of the first and the end of the second signing day is when FCS recruiting starts for that last class. They're very rarely, if ever, they're two classes ahead, if that makes sure. sense. FBS two, three, some of the crazy schools down south, they're offering freshmen right now. I don't say that's the norm, but that does happen at some of these programs. But they're typically two classes ahead, sometimes three. FCS, they're they're looking for their next class. That's all they're at. D two and D three is similar. Um and I just think, you know, I would say as an FCS kid, probably December to February of their junior year, that's when it starts to pick up. And Division Two is similar, maybe slightly later. Um, high academic Division Three is probably winter, early spring, um, which I would say like your NESCAC, um, mm -hmm. schools where you, um, where vast majority of their kids go early decision. Um, and then other Division Three schools, some of those kids, that process will start in that spring of their junior year. Some of them, it really picks up the fall of their senior year. And there's FBS kids who maybe have never played football before, but they have great frames, great athleticism, and they just start getting recruited their senior year. It doesn't mean that they can't be an FBS kid. Um, but the way I, I like to explain it is that window just shrinks. So, you know, and I don't it, – it's not saying to a kid like, hey, if you're not committed in the summer – you're not going to be able to go to an FBS school, but by February of their junior year, probably 90%, 90 plus percent of scholarships are not committed yet for FBS. You go to June, it's probably 70 to 80%, probably 70% are not committed yet. You get to the end of summer, every year is a little different, but probably 15 to 30% is still available. So once you hit your senior season, it's not that you can't still become an FBS player if you don't have offers, but the opportunities have shrunk. Sure. And that's what kids need to understand. So it's not like a lot of kids will say like, hey, these schools are sleeping on me. It's like, no, they've seen you. You're not a priority. And if you can drastically change in your senior year and schools miss out on some kids, you might have a shot. But that window's tight, tight, tight. You know, and every like there's some years like UConn, for instance, they hit the fall. And they may only be looking for one to three more kids in their class and they sign 25. So right. it's not to say it's impossible, but it's one when camps happen and last year they obviously didn't. And this year it seems like they're going to bar any crazy circumstance. Um, a lot of schools will take, will finalize a high portion of their class by the end of camp season. Not all, but a high, a sure. high portion is the way I would put it. Gotcha. And, you, I mean, you don't seem to be afraid of having difficult conversations with your players. Um, and I think 
knowing you for the past couple of years and the players you've worked with, I've interacted with too, you know, there's always a sense like, Hey, like, you know, coach Moore is like, you know, he's always straight up. He's always honest. Um, what's your philosophy of being straight with kids about like being brutally honest where they currently are? Cause yeah, not, not, that, not that other coaches like don't do that. It's just they're they might do that, but you know, too little too late before a kid is like thought they might be better than they actually are. Yeah. Like to me, um, it only works out with blunt honesty. And even like if a kid visits campus and um, in a typical year, cause this year it was very different. Um, when I sit down with them and their parents, I'll give them an idea of like, Hey, he could potentially be, you know, this level and things could change, but this is, if he stays on normal progression, you know, we think he's this type of kid and things can change, but it's always important that students know before, at least when they come here, as of today, my idea and expectation or my projection of your son is this. And I always say, it's okay if you disagree with me, but before this relationship starts, you need to know where I stand beforehand. And I'm cool with what you think of your son, but you're going to know, you know, it's like, hey, right now, if everything stays the same, your son's a division two kid. Now, if your kid grows five inches, hey, things can drastically change. You know, if, you, if, if you're, you know, a repeat sophomore, they, they could not even hit puberty yet. So you don't know how things are. But like, to me, it's always promise less. You know, the only thing I guarantee is we will get our kids in front of everyone. So you'll know who you are because at, we will have virtually every school in the country see our kids film and it doesn't lie, you know? So, but it's, the more honest you are up front, the less issues you have on the back end. And that's really important to what we do here. And we're brutally honest with every kid. And for us, we, we're, we're that during the application process. I sit down with every kid in the preseason, one-on-one, after the season, one-on-one, in the spring, one-on-one. Where I think they're at right now, expectations of them to the next phase of our program. And if they do all those things, where we think they could be. Um, so you know, it's not like they show up day one, we tell them what we think. And then three years down the road, it's like, oh, hey, you made it. You know, it's, hey, you know, in the preseason, this is what we think your role will be with us. It can change due to the way you work. There's injuries, you know, bunch of variables after the season. Hey, you got to our expectation. You didn't get to where we were hoping you. Here's A, B, and C, why not? You exceeded our expectation. You know, these are the reasons why I think so. This is what I think you can do for our program next year. This is what you have to do in the off season to get there. You know, these are the schools that I think could be potential for you. This is what you have to do to get there. If you do these other things, it could be more eventually, but this is where we're at right now. Um, so, you know, our program, you know, a lot of people notice it's like, oh, hey, kids offered by, you know, FBS school X, Y, and Z. We've had multiple division three kids every year who have been awesome kids, multiple year starters for us. Um, and have made huge impacts for us, you know, and I, I say to everyone, having division one players does not equate wins, you know, offers does not equate work ethic, um, and team camaraderie is more important than all those things. Um, so for us, you know, there's, there's no thing that says X amount of division one kids creates a conference championship. Talented kids help, don't get me wrong, um, but a lot of division one kids are based off of projection. You know, just because you're really long and fast um, doesn't mean you're a good football player right now. Um, means, hey, maybe three years in a college strength program, you could be great. Um, but, you know, hard work, um, 
attention to small details, like those are the things that win high school football games. Um, it's not always the most talented kids, but the kids that can put it together and work as a team. Sure. But I think your, your bluntness and your honesty is refreshing because I mean, it doesn't take rocket science. You just flip open Twitter and it's like a cesspool of like hype camp. And, you know, aside from the normal, like political drama you're going to find on Twitter, but you know, there's just not a lot of clarity. There's a lot of smoke and everybody's peddling you something. Um, and that seems to be why your players are so endeared to you and the families too. Um, I'm curious, like, not only do you, you do a, a, a good job with your players, but you also have like a pretty robust network of college coaches that you've been able to connect with. For, <laughs> why do college coaches like you or your program so much? We, we've been fortunate. We've had really good kids. Right. Um, and that's that's a really important piece. You know, I started at St. Thomas Moore. Um, we had kids that worked really hard who are really good players. And we were lucky in my two years there. We sent about 30 kids to play college football and, and about 20 at the Division One level. Um, so we've been fortunate where. We've had really good kids and that schools come for the kids. They don't come to, to say hi to me because. Um, having a great conversation with me does not keep you from being fired as a college football coach having good players and developing them and winning college football games that's what keeps you um having a job so we've been fortunate we've had really good kids every year um and that's that's the first and foremost and i think we've been fortunate where um i've sent a lot of kids to places and i've been blunt with my opinion on those kids and you know we've sent some kids to schools and you know and i've said hey this kid's got two options with you guys. He's going to start and be a competitor right away. Um, or he's going to struggle getting there and he could be gone freshman year, you know? And, and, but the, the most important thing is they know that before they take that kid. Um, and we've been fortunate where I think when we have those relationships, when we have a kid who they think is a fit for them and they have another kid who's very similar from a program they're not familiar with, um, having a relationship with us and, and honesty and a, a real idea of, of what we've done, that helps our kids a lot. It also helps we play in, you know, in my opinion, the, arguably the best league in New England. So, uh, you know, it's our, our kids are older because they, you know, most, not all of our kids, but I'd say a vast majority of our varsity kids that go on to play college football have reclassed as an underclassman or as a postgrad. So they're a year older, a little more mature. They're used to living away from home already, having a roommate, eating in a cafeteria, waking up at 6.45 in the morning for, for morning workouts. You know, I think our program is much more structured like a college program than the public school down the road, wherever, um, no school in particular, but it's just what we do, I think, translates more to mm -hmm. going to college. Why? Because our kids are 70-something percent of our kids are boarders. That alone is gets you more prepared because you're you're, you're gone from mom and dad or whoever you live with. Right. Um, but, you know, one, we've been fortunate. We have really good kids. We're very honest with our people. And we've had kids go on and have success. You know, Paris Shand, you know, he graduated from us last year, goes to Arizona, led the team in sacks as a true freshman. You know, I would assume if we have good players, Arizona's going to still want to recruit our kids. You know, our, our kids who are doing there are doing a great job. You know, I was at St. Thomas More, James Maxson, awesome kid, goes to URI. He's playing right away as a freshman. URI is going to want more kids from us because our kids have had a good track record there. Um, so we've been fortunate. We've just had a lot of kids, you know, Tyler Rudolph at Penn State, Anthony Red at Syracuse, um, Trey Williams at Clemson. They've gone there 
been great kids, made good decisions, and just worked hard, um, where it's sort of set a precedent for our kids in the future that schools have that expectation of our of our kids. And that's that's an important piece. Gotcha. And, and how do you coach? I mean, you know, so much outside of the skills of, you know, working out X's and O's, being strong, whatever effort on the field. You and I both know so much of recruiting is how personable kids can be with coaches or adults for the first time. And it's really a young person's first taste of what like the business world might be like, where you have to negotiate with somebody who has the power to say yes or no over something you really want. How do you coach your players on how to conduct themselves um, professionally throughout the recruiting process, whether it's in person, on Twitter? How do you do that? Yeah, um, I think the most important thing is we want our kids to be attentive. Um, so like we have a postgrad coming in, Liam Barbie, and he's got, I don't know, Navy, Lehigh, and Penn right now. Um, and like the first thing Navy said is, hey, we have a 30 person Zoom and we can see all the kids. Not everyone's videos on. It's like, that's a red flag. They may have an issue, but it's a, it's a flag that we can't see them because we don't know what they're doing. And they said, we're just talking about culture of our program and Liam Barbie's taking notes, you know? And it, it just shows one, he's listening. Two, he actually cares. Um, and it's it, like, that stuff goes a long way. And I'm not saying every kid needs to take notes on a Zoom, but it's, I think most importantly, being attentive and being able to regurgitate and understand what they're talking to you about, right? We can have a conversation for 25 minutes. And at the end of the conversation, if you ask me a question about something you already told me, and I don't know the answer, am I going to, are you going to feel like you'd want to recruit me? You know what I mean? So I think that's a, that's a really important piece. Um, and then, you know, I tell my kids as well, um, uh, if you're not interested in a school, let me know and we'll have a conversation with them and we won't go through that process with that school anymore because we're not going to waste people's time either. Because um, what can happen is, you know, let's use the service academies. Awesome schools, great schools, not for everyone though, which is fair. But if you lead one of those schools on and you go on for three months and you're not really interested the whole time, A, that coach could be at another school before the next season starts. So the coach at Navy could now be the coach, uh, an assistant coach at Harvard. And now you want to go to Harvard. It's like, well, that kid didn't care about anything I said, barely listened, couldn't remember anything. Or that coach, you know, the, the coaching world is very small. At the high school level, like, you know, at the college level, that coach's good friend could be coaching at one of the other schools and recruiting them be like, hey, what do you think of this kid? And it's like, I don't know. We've zoomed with him three times. He has been looking on the screen for most of it. I can tell he's texting while he's on it. You know, like people talk. Um, sure. So it, it's really important. They present themselves the right way. And just that they're att attentive, you know, um, even on a phone call, like when talking to a coach, probably a good idea to answer every question within the first second or two, right? If you're pausing for five seconds in between each question, they can't see you. They could think, you're, you're talking to someone else or you're watching TV or you're on speakerphone, but you're really on Twitter. Yeah. Or playing video games. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just those small things yep. um, go a long way. Now at the same token, top end athletes, whether it's fair or not, these schools are going to, if this kid's film is so good, some of these schools are going to make any excuse possible to keep recruiting that kid because they're good. 
does not mean it's right or wrong, but that happens all the time. And you see a lot of high-end kids, right? 247 ranks kids every year. Does every five-star work out? No. But I'm going to tell you, the schools who sign those five stars that don't work out, a lot of them have red flags beforehand, but they're so good, schools are waiting for excuses. That is the 1% of the 1%. Right. So, like, you know, these kids watch Last Chance You, and, like, three kids do everything wrong in the program, and they're signed by a Power 5 school. Like, even though they're on TV, they're the outlier. That's not that's not the, the rule. Like, right. they're the outlier. But since that is getting all this publicity, these kids think, uh, not everyone, but, like, hey, this is what it's like, you know? Um, so it's, we just spend a lot of time and properly communicating with coaches. We'll go over like, uh, if a coach reaches out to you, what's a proper way to respond, you know, this and that. And, you know, I, I think those things are, are important. At the end of the day, you gotta be good at football. Don't get me wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's so many cases where it's like, hey, we're looking for one linebacker. We got three kids we really like, what separates them? You know, right. we need one DB. We got two kids that are very similar what separates them. Um, So, you know, those are, it's those small things that separate that. Like at the end of the day, if your skilled talent is, if your skill level is division three kid, you can be the most amazing person to talk to and say everything right. Boston college isn't going to offer you a scholarship. Yeah. And have you, um, I guess, have you noticed you've had to coach these people skills in parallel with the football skills as your kids have gone through the recruiting process more recently? Yeah, I think the timeline for each kid's a little different, but, yeah. um, you know, some kids are just very charismatic, yep. just naturally. Like uh, Winston Ware, who we have going to Wagner, like he's just a great kid and everyone he talks to loves him and <laughs> we've never really had to talk about it. But, you know, there's a lot of kids that will come up to me and be like, hey, coach from this school just reached out. What do I do? You know, and I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm like, what position you play? This, okay. What's your GPA? Okay, cool. What are you looking for in a school? Great. All right, cool. All right. We just talked about these things. Let's tell them those things. Position, height, weight, GPA, interest in major A, B, and C. Uh, you know, would would you would you and your family be interested in visiting campus in the summer? Yeah, sure. Well, why don't you tell them that? You know, and it's it's just working through that. So every sure. kid's a little different, but. I would say uh, a strong majority, we have some type of conversation, especially like initially when first talking to schools. Sure. And and from the kid's perspective, like, I don't want to just be the old guy, like hate the millennial hating on the Gen Zers or whatever, but like from the kid's perspective, it's like, you know, you know, a lot of the kids understand just how much communication matters, how important it is to be attentive. So I can see why they, they want to like brainstorm how to word a DM or an email or something like that. Um, for sure. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, just a couple more questions here. You recently became a dad. Congratulations. And Thank you. you. Also have a, a cool dog. So I see him. What's your dog's name? Ollie. Ollie. How old's Ollie now? So he will be three in July. So he's getting there. <laughs> gotcha. So how has becoming a father impacted your coaching? Less time. Um, I think uh, it makes the relationships much more important uh, with the kids you have, but it also, you get drastically better at time management because you have more time you need to manage, you know, like um, 
as an unmarried coach, you can do whatever. When I, when I coached at Amherst college, I had the West coast. I would take phone calls until one in the morning, right? Four hour difference. Doesn't matter. You know, you get married, that window shrinks a little more, you know, the more kids you have, you got to maneuver a couple other things right now. So, um, I, it makes you have to be much more organized, understand where your time is. Um, but I, I do think you appreciate your relationships a lot more as well. Um, not that kids mean more, but I think, you know, when you, when you and your partner bring something into the world, it's just totally different. And I don't know how to explain it, but you, you just appreciate everything more is the way sure. I put it. And I, I flubbed on this question earlier. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about international students because we have some international kids who, who listen from, uh, you know, from different countries. And um, you guys are, not only you guys, but other prep schools do have uh, pretty good European uh, American football players who come over or Canadian guys or Mexican uh, citizens who come up. Um, kind of discuss how... Um, I guess how do, how has that international uh, football uh, interest grown over the past couple of years in prep schools like Loomis? And what would be a piece of advice you would give to a family in another country thinking about trying to come over here to either play at a prep school or at a college to play American football? Yeah. So earlier communication is more important, I think, from an international level. If you have the ability to visit in the summer, and I know everyone's economic means are different, definitely helps because it's just, um, and we do it, but it is very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to do the process, especially in football where like physical features matter when you've never met the person, right? Because you can online say you're 6'5 and you can show up and be 6'2". You know, so it does help like to see a presence and we've taken kids who haven't communication earlier. You know, if you're a European kid, I'd put a plug in for Gridiron Imports. Um, it was founded by Bjorn Warner and Chris Adamson. Chris Adamson used to be the head coach at Salisbury, another boarding school, all boys school. He brought Bjorn Warner from Germany. Bjorn signed at Florida State, first team All-American, first, first round draft pick for the Colts. Those two, they work on with European kids and African kids bringing them to prep schools. They help with the whole process. And then some kids straight to college. So we've taken three, I've taken three kids from them in the past. Um, probably our biggest name is Olas Alenin, who's here as a sophomore right now. He's a four-star. He's got uh, 15, 16 offers right now. Great kid. We have Anthony Indica. He's coming from Nigeria next year as a sophomore. Um, really good kids. And then we've had a I've been very fortunate to have really great Canadian kids. So Kenny Messador signed at UCLA, Lamar Good signed at Florida, um, Josh McLeod signed at Youngstown State, Nate Marty's here this year. He came here as a junior last year. He's going to Princeton. Um, Paris Shand, who I mentioned earlier, was a post grad. He started at Arizona last year or this year. Um, and then we have a couple incoming kids this year, Nino Francovilla we're really excited about Denzel Muntali who just picked up Marshall um so we've had a, a very good run I'm a bigger fan of international kids because the ones we've dealt with typically have looked at less schools and um so what I mean by that is if there's a really good kid from Connecticut who's looking to go to prep school they're probably going to look at six to 15 prep schools um right. that's great and all but if we accept a kid we like to think we have a really good shot 
so it's tough for us. Um, it, you know, it, I don't feel great if we accept a kid who's accepted at 10 schools. I'm not a math major, but it, those aren't good odds for us. You know, we've dealt with a lot of Canadian kids where we've been the only school they apply to. So if they get in, typically they come here. Um, so that's, that's been a big plus for us. Um, so, you know, we like to work with kids that we think we can yield. Um, so in the international pool, um, that's been really great for us just because a lot of kids we've taken have been a little bit more unknown is the way I would put it. Um, so if I like you as a player, the best case scenario for me is you only apply here. Cause then if we accept you, you know, we have a very high chance. Um, but kids, you know, I just feel uneasy when, when we have to deal with so many schools, even though I think Loomis is awesome. What we have going here is great. Um, but you know, if a college had official visited a kid they offered and that kid was only official visiting them, they would feel really good about it. If they used all five visits, you'd probably say, Oh, well, we're in the thick of it with four other schools. So that's sort of how I would compare it to. Right. And and it also communicates to like the the kid just isn't sure what they want. So do you really want to be kind of strung on it? Even if they say they're going to go to you, well, you also know they apply to 30 other schools. So, yeah, you know, we, we like to, um, we like to have a really good pulse on the kid and, and what they think, um, beforehand, cause it makes us, us feel good. Um, sure. it, it gives us an idea because, um, like I said, in that second round, um, it's very, um, it's, it's very limited. So if we, if we accepted 10 football kids and seven chose not to come, we may only get one more kid. So it's not like we'll get seven more later. Like that's not how the process works at most of these prep schools. So we got to make sure we do really good um, yielding on March 10th when decisions come out. Gotcha. And then last question, um, what would be one piece of advice you would give if you knew you were talking to every family and, and football, high school football recruit right now in the thick of recruiting? Yeah, two biggest things. Make sure to be your own advocate. Um, and I'm a firm believer of the top kids can get noticed by anyone. Um, but I think it's very important to go somewhere or to be somewhere um, where you know your coaches have your best interest at heart. Um, and I think that's a really important piece for kids who want to play college football because um, you don't get you don't really get a second chance in this process. Um, so I think it's really important to go somewhere where, you know, that your coach is going to be your biggest advocate. They're not going to lie to you. Um, and, and they're going to make you better every single day. And that, that's a really important piece here. Um, you know, I said it earlier, we do not guarantee any school or any placement for any of our kids, but I can promise something here that a lot of schools can't, that I will get their film in front of everyone. So, you know, I, if a kid asks their division one kid, I might say, I don't know, but if you come here, we'll be able to find out because we'll have a, between FCS and FBS, well over a hundred schools see your film. And if none of them offer you, you're definitely not a division one kid. Like right. uh, it is what it is, but you know, we've in the past four years, we've sent, I've sent about 60 kids to play college football and about 40 at the division one level. Um, and we've been, you know, we've had postgrads who have gone through the process and have had limited to no options. And then they PG here. Um, 
And, you know, Paris Shan had nothing before here, and he goes to Arizona. Did he drastically change as a player? Yeah, he probably got better, but where he was before probably wasn't giving him the same exposure we do. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that other program, but what are your goals and what are you looking to get out of your experience? Um, and I think that's an important thing. And, you know, kids and families, they need to sit down and just see what are their goals, right? If their goal is to play with their friends they've grown up with their whole life and have an awesome football experience in high school and just enjoy time with friends, then stay where you, you know, then go to your normal high school and enjoy it. If your goal is to compete against the best kids in the region to try to get as much exposure as possible and try to play college football at the highest level, you know, I, there's schools that are for that. I think we're one of them. Um, but it, you got to know what you want, you know, because there's some kids who think they want that and then they show up and it's like, hey, this is how we roll here, you know. And if that's not what you're looking for, then you shouldn't you shouldn't even tour campus here. You know, if, if you don't want to have a regimented practice where we compete every single day, if you don't want to have an off-season weightlifting program, um, if you don't want to be held accountable when you're wrong or get constructive criticism to make you a better player, then Lewis isn't the place for you, and that's fine. Um, but it's very important that kids sit down with their family, whoever they live with, and just figure out what 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 are they trying to get out of their high school football experience. Sure. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer, but based on what your answer is, um, you can sort of figure out what's what's your process moving forward. Definitely, and I think that's that's probably the only strategic advantage of family can have is knowing okay what does success actually look like for for us because and it's not even with college football it's a college process in general a lot of families just kind of float through it and they're they're kind of they're, they're not necessarily intentional about what what they're looking at or they don't have those tough conversations early on about like hey here you know i know you really you could play division one at this fcs school but financially we can only pay for this state d3 school so what where's the middle ground there so i think the earlier you can have those conversations like you said the the easier every not necessarily easier things will be but they'll certainly be less difficult than if you're walking through this whole plot process blind yeah it may hurt your it may hurt your feelings earlier but at the end of the day you'll be thankful <laughs> i like that better if you're gonna have hurt feelings do it early rather than later yeah, i i'd rather be upset from hearing the truth and being able to write my path or do the best I can then be at the end and be upset because I got no options. Cause I didn't, cause no one, no one wanted to hurt my feelings or I didn't want to listen to what people had to say. Awesome. And we're not trying to hurt people's feelings. We're just trying to have every kid reach their fullest potential um, and get the most opportunities possible. And every kid's different. I know I've said that 30 times tonight, uh, but you know, yeah. Some kids are six, six, some kids are five, seven, you know, in competitive sports, you know, if you want to be a horse jockey, five, seven is a great advantage. If you want to be a, a offensive tackle, six, seven is a better advantage than being five, seven, you know, and that's, you, you can only do with what you dealt with. You know, I'm a mediocre athlete at best. That's why I coach instead of play. Like, um, so, so, hey, you were a kicker, right? So don't, don't hate on yourself too much. Very mediocre though. <laughs> gotcha all right hey well i appreciate you taking the time let me um and here's the out thanks for listening to the coach cahill show 
If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment. <laughs>